It's the third Thursday of the month, and we're off the bricks and on the air. You're listening to a poetry podcast from Brick Street Poetry. Eric Kreuter, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be with you. Now, uh, before we get started today, could you introduce the listeners to your body of work? Uh, My body of work, uh, since I was very young, was in writing poetry. I fell in love with that writing modality. Um, As an adult, I volunteered at a state prison for women to run a writing group, and I did that for three years. And then since last November, um, I have been doing group psychotherapy and expressive writing for men in a residential drug and alcohol treatment program. So essentially, um, I work with the men in addition to uh, group therapy meetings where it's all verbal. Uh, I run writing groups on the weekend with them, giving them challenges to use poetry and essay writing and journaling as a way of uh, reaching the core of who they are and what their addiction is rooted in to help them recover. And how were you introduced to this this method of therapy using poetry to bring out the sort of results that traditional uh, psychotherapy uses? In, um, in my graduate studies, I started writing more scholarly articles, uh, which included poetry. And I would submit them to the Journal of Poetry Therapy. And then I contacted them and asked them if they had annual conferences where I could present my work. And at that time, it was work on, with prisoners. And they accepted that. And I went to their conference and gave a presentation. From there, they asked me to become their treasurer, which I've become ever since. And now I'm an editor of the, I'm one of the editors of the Journal of Poetry Therapy. So uh, I volunteered, as I said, at the prison to do specifically that. So it just occurred to me maybe decades ago that writing was a key to unlock secrets about what people were really feeling and applying that to marginalized communities such as prisoners or addicts, uh, I found it very, very effective as a way of getting beneath the surface into some real, real things that they could write about and then talk about uh, to help them understand the root of their addiction and how to change their life. And why do you think that um, writing about addiction in the form of poetry produces um, a different result um, than traditional like talk therapy does? That's a very good question. The creative mind is speaking from a different part of the brain. And I like to say that the poet writes from the soul. So by having a man take a challenge to write something creatively helps them dig beneath the surface to get into feelings that they otherwise might not share, especially with men that are not typically good shares of anything regarding feeling. By having them break through the uh, resistance to do that, they, they actually like it. And the addict tends to be very sincere when they communicate. And I find with their writing that it comes from a very deep place. Some of their word choice is, let's just say, colorful, but Uh, Even profanity in an addict is considered a mark of sincerity. So I never repress them from doing that. But I also teach about word choice and language and uh, ways to round out their writing capability 
to expand. So it's partly being a counselor, partly being a teacher, but more than that, it's being an ally to walk along the side of an addict and get them to find out more about what's really going on inside them and how they think and creativity helps them get there. And do you find that the individuals that you work with, do they feel more heard through this method than other therapeutic methods? Absolutely. They, they have told me that it's the highlight of the week. They write quite a lot in group and not in group. They've been bringing their writing into their track group meetings. Uh, they're very willing to share their writing with larger groups of men. Uh, and they're very excited about it. They, they're actually very, when you see a sense of pride developing in somebody who has had a very difficult life, it, it's a tremendous positive uplift in their affect. And they smile and they're cordial and they're happy and they're attending to it. Especially on the weekend because they, they really don't get a weekend off. Weekend is work for them. So the creative opportunity, um, and I don't want to say it's fun, but it's a relief from the pressure that they normally experience during the week. And the, the drug and alcohol addict, they have nightmares, they have drug dreams, they have um, a huge amount of anxiety and concern. The creative opportunity is a release from all that. And, but I do more than have them write. I have them in group read their writing. And I don't force it. It's all optional. But I find that when they read what they've written, there's then the opportunity for the other men in the room to provide feedback, uplift it, and it gives them some more meaningfulness in their life. And I really do believe that that helps them look at other aspects of their life and make a true change because they realize that they have value, that they're worthy of love and respect, but they can actually be effective in the world. And uh, that's very palpable for me to see that uh, in, in the minds of men who are running from age from uh, 18 up to 75. So to me, making it available, but not forced, gives the men the choice. And St. Christopher's and the work they're doing with writing only works if they're willing to open up their mind to it. If they're not teachable or they choose to shut it out, there's no poetry in the world that's going to help them. So I find that and found that they don't want to be spoken to with poetry. They want to participate in poetry. And when they do, they become a participant in their recovery. Um, and it's very subtle, but the subtlety in the, they're there for approximately 90 days, maybe 100 days. So the group dynamics change frequently. And that's actually very healthy because people who are there a while learn from people who are younger and vice versa. And the writers become very good writers. And I have the pleasure of working, working right now with about 15 men who've left the program who are continuing to write. So my own um, post St. Christopher's experience with the recovering addict is tracking them and having them check in and having them send me new things that they're writing. And, and frankly, what that tells me is that they're alive, that they're thriving. And 
I think that's very, very good. And I hope to continue to be in touch with them, to care about what they're writing. And with the more brilliant writers, I'm encouraging them regularly to consider doing their own epic work, books, manuscripts, as people that have written children's stories in the room, wherever their energy wants to take them, uh, it's my job to give them encouragement to do that. Would you mind sharing some of the uh, works that they've created with us? So an, an example is at St. Christopher's, there's a, a memorial wall. It's outside and it's literally a wall and they manufacture a brick for every person who's been at St. Christopher's who later dies from drug, drug addiction. And it sounds kind of macabre, but it's actually a beautiful spiritual place. And the men go there and, and they look at the names on the brick and all it, all it is names. And they know that every brick is a death. Um, so one of the men in my writing group, his name is Ramel S, his last name is S. And he wrote a beautiful, um, I'm going to call it a poem, but it's kind of like an essay with poetic overtones. And he titled it, A Letter from a Brick. And, and the reason he did that was, I'm, I'm going to give him credit, of course, but part of the thing that I do to challenge them is to turn their perspective around the other way. So I've had them write on the perspective of being a bird from the perspective if the world were turned upside down. So uh, one, one man in particular uh, took to heart um, what it meant to be a brick on the memorial. And I challenged him to write, what would it be like from the perspective of the brick, writing to living men there at the memorial place? Ramel wrote beautiful writing called A Letter from a Brick. And I'll read that. I once existed amongst you all. I once smiled walked and talked. Now I am a brick. I never planned on becoming concrete literally, but I did plan on being present forever in your presence. I once followed directions. I was teachable, but now I am the lesson to be learned and you are all of the students. So I guess that would now make me the teacher in a sense. Funny how the tables of life turn. I was once called Christopher, Paul, Brian, and Nicholas, just to name a few. We are still very present, just not in the form as you. We are now bricks. We are bricks of hope, humility, serenity, and love. We are still men worthy of love and respect. We made the choices so you wouldn't have to. In recovery, they told us that you could not keep it if you did not give it away. So please accept us as we are. Accept the message that we bring, live for us, and allow us to live through you. As the season changes, the leaves will fall. They will begin to turn into dust, which will turn back again towards the earth from which it came. God will then begin to use that dust to help new leaves form as he is using us to strengthen you. He is using us to give you new life, to change your outlook on life, to view yourself for what you could become if you do not change who you are. Brothers, and they're called brothers, Christopher up there, brothers, Life is not so bad here, especially being surrounded by so many brothers, but I'd still rather be in your shoes, sitting next to you and enjoying life. Brothers, please don't miss out on the beautiful things that life has to offer. Let go and let your higher power do its will. 
Well, I must depart now, so please come back as you are now and visit us soon. Love always, the bricks. That, that poem was so touching to the men and to the friars that run St. Christopher's that they're going to um, have it memorialized uh, on the brick memorial from him. So it serves as a unique testimony of what a living person um, would say from the perspective of the brick using poetic reference. So in my career there so far, I consider that the most beautiful thing that's been written uh, on a very difficult topic. Yeah, and I, I love that um, creativity like you were talking about earlier, that just, that sort of, creative thinking I don't see as coming out of a more traditional type of therapeutic approach. So that's really exceptional. Do you have anything else, to, any other poetry to share? Yes, the same person. Uh, what I learned over time there is that it didn't have to give them very much encouragement with a lot of words. Sometimes I would write, sometimes I'd write a whole couple of paragraphs, a couple of stanzas of a poem and I'd have them complete it. In this case, I tested the group uh, with two words, soul essence, the essence of the soul. That's all I said. I said, write any way you want about it. So the same Ramel, um, he titled it as the topic of the challenge, soul essence. And he, defined the, he defines the terms, soul, a person considered as an inspiring force, a leader. Essence, the most important or effectual ingredient, the crucial element. And then his story. One day I will transcend into the sufficient leader that I'm destined to be, or perhaps I have already arrived at the center of others' hearts. I often wonder why people pay attention to what I have to say or what I do. Is it because they know something that I do not? Or are they seeking to find something in themselves that they see in me? I'm unique in my own ways, yes, but so are they. I see greatness in everyone and beauty in all things. I find peace within myself. And that peace quiets the loud noises that travel through the ear canals. For a long time, I've lived based on feelings. Rather than listening with my heart, I used my ears. It was only until I arrived in my own life was I really and truly able to understand and listen with my heart. The answers to many of my questions were at the very core of my soul and those answers could not be found in others or even in prayer, but only through meditation. I discovered that it wasn't God who had been forsaking me, it was me who had not been listening. Sometimes God has to force upon you solitude in order for you to hear him. Sometimes he has to break your heart in order to save your soul. James Allison once quoted, the divinity that shapes our ends is in ourselves. All that a man achieves or fails to achieve is the direct result of his own thoughts. So to the end, uh, to tie this into my own life in regards to the soul essence is to simply put it in such a form that it speaks volumes into the person that makes up only a fraction of who I really am. I am an image of the living God who has been given so freely life and free will as to do I, as I please. I now choose to be the essence that will help me to mold and shape others and myself. Divinity is within the man who allows humility to direct his emotions. 
So I thought that was rather beautiful. Uh, Ramel is an individual who, when I first met him, had a very low image of his capabilities. In working with him and having him realize the impact that his poetry had on other people, he started to become very confident in himself, but not, not in a bad way. He became confident in that he wanted to write more and he wanted to truly express all the energy that had been so long repressed in him. So what that does is that adds, adds dignity to the person. And, and today he is in a different um, environment. He's engaged, he has a son and he's working. He's very happy, but, but he continues to use writing as a, a key to help him communicate in ways uh, not otherwise possible before. Do you think that that newfound spirituality that it seems that he's writing about having realized where he hasn't been forsaken, he just hasn't been in tune enough with his own spirituality, do you think that has specifically brought him to that new place of you know engagement and having a child or do you think um that was one of many variables in in getting him to that place the uh, having a child is a motivator to live finding his spirituality gives him an anchor something that he can use when he has a challenge to go back to drugs but the writing becomes the ultimate key to give him something to have the inner dialogue, should I, shouldn't I? <clears throat> so for example, if down the road, he has a challenge, and I've taught them to do this, when they have a challenge where there's a temptation to go back to a former life, to, to write about it, to write about the pros and cons of doing that, to write about the, what happens down the road if they were to use again. You see, cognitively, they know if they pick up drugs again, they know what's going to happen. But the chemically addicted brain wants the drug anyway. It's a compelling. Writing, I believe, is an antidote to deal with the addicted brain, the chemical brain, and withstand the pressure and get the person through the uh, immediate pressure that they might be under. And what triggers the relapse, not necessarily bad events, it could be good events. They, they could get a, a new job, a promotion, uh, meet somebody new, start a new relationship. And then they think, oh, I can give myself a reward, so I'll have a drink or I'll do some uh, drugs. Except that then becomes for them the slippery slope and then they go downhill from there because a little bit of drug or alcohol leads to a lot because they absolutely cannot handle moderation. Their lifestyle has proven that. And I see this in men that have been in their 20 or 30th rehab, men that have been doing this for 30 or 40 years. It's really quite sad. But when I get away from my own feeling about what I'm looking at, I realize that in each person, there's a soul. And trying to reach that soul using words, it's a way for them to communicate and be essentially reborn through language. And, and really, you know, one more thing, Catherine, I wanna add. 
I believe that my job is to instigate having them fall in love with words. I, I do spend some time in larger groups talking about the use of language and how it could be very meaningful conveying a message and also teaching them how to listen. But writing helps them listen actually to themselves, to their inner voice. So when, when they find a way to write deeply, they're able to attach to a person that was long ago lost. Once they reconnect, they've got power in them that becomes very, very profound and helps them deal with challenges in their life in the future. It gives them essentially a new will to live. A, a lot of the men, and I don't mean exclude women, but this program is only men. Um, what they do is language actually is a barrier for them because it's devoid of all feeling. So the, the chemical brain just has them, has them speaking in a very raw manner that's not necessarily reflective of what they're really feeling, it's the mask. It's the immediacy, it's the short term at the expense of the long term, the sense of immediate gratification. Writing and language and words, they might be able to communicate, I'm feeling bad today, I have a problem, I need help. That reach out through words could make the difference between somebody relapsing or not. And as we bring the episode to a close today, would you like to share uh, one more um, piece of poetry with us? Yeah, I'd like to. One, um, one of my writers is a musician. And I started a poem, and I'm also a songwriter, and he is too. So I asked him if he would be willing to collaborate to turn a poem into song lyrics. And while he was there, he had a friend who was... Um, a musician as well, and he actually recorded it. Um, so the title, and this is a collaboration with myself and Jan B, J-A-H-N, -J Jan B, and the title is Breathing with Trees. And I'll, I'll just read the lyrics through. Where does the road go for this lonesome man staring at the rear view, caught between the rocks? Yesterday's a wreck. Tomorrow won't be better than that. Why drive a straight line when the curves are so much fun? This sad life needs a jump or toe to reclaim the rubble, untwist this crumbled frame and lighten every load. Lord, won't you nurture these parched and weakened roots? Standing for the faith I lost so long ago, bring the jaws of life, extricate this benumbed soul. Prune the dormant limbs, erase this phantom pain. And the chorus is addicted to the speed and the turmoil of my life. The stoned wall ahead invites my soul, turning to the higher power, arrest this fast paced now, fast paced now. Slow down the rhythm and breathe with trees. So the whole essence there in the ballad is nothing more than breathing and realizing that by connecting with nature, that they could become part of a much larger universe than just themselves. And what that does is it forms connection. One of the things that I believe is that uh, addiction, it's more than just recovery, it's about reconnecting to life. So using words, using song, 
um, using art. We've had artists that have written, that have um, drawn things that people have written poems to. Fabulous collaboration concept. Um, it brings out enlightenments in the mind and the soul in much greater ways than, uh, than just a, a verbal dialogue in a room where they're talking about problems. One more example of something that oh, happened. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, one of the men came into writing and he discussed when he was a child that he liked to play the violin. But the boys in his, uh, well, really his school chums made fun of him about playing the violin. So even though he was very good at it, he put the violin away. And he looked so sad when he talked about that. Uh, having a violin, I asked him if he wanted me to bring it in. And he lightened up like a Christmas tree. So I brought in the violin and he's sitting in the back tuning it. And he hadn't played in a long time, but he started to play the very simple melody, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Stars. And that was actually very touching for the men to hear him play violin to a simple childhood nursery rhyme, basically. So the same Jan B that I did the uh, Breathing Through Trees, I challenged the men, and he's the, he's the one who accomplished it. I challenged them to take the melody of Twinkle Twinkle and to write a song about recovery. Jan came in the very next day with a guitar, memorized a very lengthy poem, song lyrics that he wrote overnight with the actual composition for the guitar about addiction, recovery, and it was beautiful. And it was so perfect to the melody of Twinkle Twinkle, yet so poignant as a reflective of just how damaging drug and alcohol use is. But it transcended into a powerful message about recovery and the earnest quest for recovery. You know, and there, while it was very meaningful, clearly for the violinist, it was clearly meaningful for Jan, who uh, created a song and played his guitar beautifully. But the men who witnessed it, they're forever changed because it, it struck them as a unique way of expressing not only the inherent difficulty with addiction, but the important process of climbing out of it towards recovery. So I consider those collective experiences with them as having the potential for long-lasting impact on their lives. And my hope is that when they leave, writing, poetry, song become tools for them that they could use, tools that they didn't think they ever had. I, I really appreciate this opportunity and for anyone who listens to this to, to become inspired to use the talents, the gifts that, uh, that you have um, with writing and share them. Lovely. Well, thank you again for joining us, Eric Kreuter. Um, it's been lovely to have you on the program today. Thank you, Catherine. I really appreciate it. Time to pause for a natural moment with a bit of poetry focusing on our non-human world. Today's natural moment poem comes
comes from four Virginia Poet Laureates, an anthology and reader's guide, The Pines Without Peer by Kelly Cherry. The pines without peer are taller than air. They grow in the sky, their roots in your eye, and the top of the pines wave from the top of the sky, brave as banners, and the tops of the pines are steps to the high wheeling stars, and your brain is reeling, and the trees are falling, and you are falling in a forest, pulled, drawn, blind, and mauled, and you are the ground and the wound, and the one wild sound. This program would not have been possible without the help of our creators and creatives. Our signature music is composed and performed by Iona Wagner. Off the Bricks appreciates the support of Indiana Humanities and the National Endowment for the Humanities who have made this podcast possible. We release new episodes of Off the Bricks on the third Thursday of each month, so keep an ear out for us. Thank you for joining us, poets and poetry lovers. Good poetry enriches our day and enlightens us about ourselves and the world. Join us again the third Thursday of the month as we bring you poetry off the bricks.